Hey guys, and welcome to today's episode of Give It The Beans. This is episode number 36, and it is the second appearance of the one and the only Joe Jeffries. How are we doing, buddy? Yeah, I'm not too bad, mate. Are you? I'm very, very well. Now, last time I had Joe on the podcast, unfortunately, we did it over Skype, and I couldn't actually get to see his face. So I got a lot of questions from listeners saying they were really disappointed, and they really wanted to see <laughs> the, <laughs> the egghead, but also yeah. that impressive beard. So, give us a little bit, I mean, there will be a lot of new listeners that are tuned in that perhaps haven't listened to your previous episode. Now, what I'm going to say is go back and listen to the first one that me and Joe done. He's a lot smarter than I am. And for those that perhaps maybe you're thinking, Vaughn, fuck that, I really want to be interested in what we're speaking about today. Can you give the listeners a rough idea of, you know, your background, your history, your education, who you are, and everything about you? Um, yeah, cool. So... My name is Joe Jeffrey. I'm an online physique coach, um, primarily, although more and more my work seems to move to the educational field over time, um, whether it be through online lecturing work or consults, um, mostly in the field of chemistry, but only because that seems to be where a lot of information or accurate information is lacking, or evidence-based information maybe. My I think sometimes I'm mistaken to be somebody that just loves the drug research. Not necessarily true. I I love bodybuilding. Like I'm just a meathead. I love whatever's going to add the most muscle or lose the most fat for anybody. Or any, you know, I'm just obsessed with improving body composition in people. So um, that's essentially what my coaching is. I work with a lot of people primarily with more extreme end goals, bigger bodybuilders, competitors, stuff like that. Very few general public these days. That's not through choice. It just seems to be there the people that. I attract. If you are a member of the general public that wants to do something really cool, then please do hit me up. Um, and that's it, pretty much. I put out informational content on stuff that I find interesting. Um, Education-wise, I've got none, to be honest. Um, I'm just... Because I found this passion rather later on. I never went back to, to research it formally, but it is something that I spend... A lot of time, a lot of energy. I, too. I think anyone listening will know how much of a humble guy Joe is, and how much you actually do know versus how much you know you're, you're coming across saying that you don't. Because and what what I massively respect about Joe and will will back him to the hills and back is that everything that you say is research based. There's a lot of bros, quote unquote bros in this industry. Sorry, that was just me with my claw finger. Right. <laughs> um, there, there's a lot of bros in this industry that will preach shite or will regurgitate stuff that they have seen whereas a lot of people that I would consider top in the industry they share Joe's posts because he knows his shit and when I asked them if we could perhaps do a podcast again you know your response of oh yeah I just finished doing a you know a 30 powerpoint lecture on birth control do i do that and i was like yes <laughs> that that would be awesome so what before I think I... that's cool that exchange we had there because you had originally asked if i wanted to cover another topic but i am well aware that i am not the expert in that given topic and i recommended it out to someone else i think this is something something for either prospective coaches or people currently working as coaches we need to be quite careful about what we do put online. Yeah. It's a digital footprint that's going to be there forever. So if you're saying things or making claims, make sure you have some evidence to support it and also be open to being wrong. Yeah. 
I've been wrong about loads of stuff. I've presented evidence that's been crap for some things when I look back and think idiot, and I've been proven wrong, and that's great because you learn through it. It's not emotional, you know. Hundred um, percent. And if I was to look at the very first program I ever sent to a client, I cringe because I'm going, man, yeah. that's, that's so that's so bad. But we I, get memories on Facebook. <laughs> I had one today about something I wrote on growth hormone. I'd ri- I'd written it. It was six years ago. And I've written it all wrong. It was like, look, these subjects gained muscle. And I opened the study and it was like they gained lean body mass. I was like, you dumbass. That's, it's just water. Like, like. Absolutely. But I think that what that shows, a quality in you, is that you sort of stay in your lane. You know, you, you stick with the stuff that you know you like, you enjoy. And as you said, if, if you're ever open, you know, if ever wrong, you'll put your hand up and say first, foremost. And mate, I've been wrong so many times and I'll always say, um, God, I was, I've been wrong recently. I remember putting up a post last month before the lockdown. James uh, Sutton replied to one of my uh, tutorials and he was like, hey, dude, don't take this wrong way, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, amazing. That's quality. Thank you for doing that because it improves my knowledge. And for someone like yourself to come on the podcast, mate, um, to it will help me with my own education. It will help the listeners as well, who are, whether they're fellow coaches, bodybuilders, aspiring competitors. So I do want to delve right into today's topic, which will be all about female birth control. And I guess you could say, is it relevant in the current situation? Well, well yeah, because in lockdown, a lot of people are probably having a heck of a lot of sex. And yeah. <laughs> if, we, if we consider that with the fact that, well, it's something that the majority of females take, we know that the majority of female competitors as well will lose their cycle, will perhaps take it or not take it, and something that will hopefully get a little bit of clarity on from today's episode. Now, I'm going to plug in here, if someone hasn't listened to the episode I've done with Dr. Carrie Jones on female physiology and the menstrual cycle, go do that. But for those that think, fuck that, Vaughn, I want Joe to tell me, could you give the listeners a brief overview? How does sort of female birth control work? And I know that's not going to be brief, but... Yeah, so this is the first thing, like, it's, like, female birth control is a ridiculously complex topic, so we can break it down pretty basically, as in, birth control is a term that refers to any method used to prevent pregnancy, basically, so that includes IUDs, cup, condoms, although not, oh no, there are female condoms, Um, so it's worth mentioning right away that today we're going to cover hormonal birth control, because the other methods don't really have the same physiological effects on females if any you know it's, it's mostly like physical discomforts that cause people to stray away from the others right yeah so hormonal birth control and that basically involves taking synthetic exogenous versions of progesterone and or estrogen there's there's primarily two categories you have combination which is why i said and or because that's both progestins and and estrogens or progestin only um the estrogen used is always ethanol estradiol, but there's eight progestins across four generations with different structures, all used at different dosages, and they all have highly variable effects, right? Right. So complicated. Yeah. Um, it's the difference in the progestin used that has the largest effect. Um, notably, same thing. Like, I think we talked about this with anabolics, where we were talking about how they've become more like selective in their nature over time in yeah. terms of binding. It's the difference in the, like, the early generations show the most negative effects. Um, they're also the most androgenic. What would you, can, uh, when you say negative effects, are you referring to the progesterone or are you referring to the anabolic episode? Progestins. 
So if we and I mean and uh, I mean the thing is with androgens, some of the negative effects medically are the positive effects for us, like cellular hydration, right? <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because like. If we were talking about protein accretion or nitrogen retention, sorry, we're already off topic here. But and we put Primo next to testosterone, it'd be about the same. Yeah. But then the testosterone is going to cause so much more cellular retention, and you know, in basic terms, fluid retention, that there's going to be an anabolic drive through that alone. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so back similarly here. Um, and I'll talk about a bit of research a bit later on this that's really interesting in terms of newer birth controls and what they do to body composition. Sure. Um, as uh, we get better at manipulating these molecules and what they do, the effects become a bit less negative. Progestins are probably the enemy <laughs> for for females here. Um, so for anyone listening that perhaps they, they don't know what a progestin is, could you just give them a little bit of layman's terms of what that, what that would be? Yep, yeah, so progesterone next to estrogen is the one of the primary reproductive hormones in women um, it shares a very similar structure to other hormones like testosterone cortisol and mineral corticoids so this allows some binding affinity to their respective receptors which is what makes this some, a bit of a dodgy hormone when you look at synthetic versions because get that cross binding androgenic effects so at the cortisol receptor it can send a weak cortisol signal due to the reduced binding affinity as compared to cortisol itself, which will reduce cortisol signaling. And at the mineral corticoid and androgen receptors, it just occupies the receptor and blocks natural binding. So less fluid retention and androgenic side effects. So if you're a female competitor using anabolics and you have something blocking androgen receptors, you know, not great. Um, some of the other things progesterone does would be induced body fat storage in the lower body via various enzymes. It's even often coined in the research as the female storage enzyme. <laughs> um, yeah, it sucks. It also induces insulin resistance, um, which you might say, hey, well, that's good because I'll mobilize more fat for fuel, but it actually increases the use of intramuscular triglycerides, not fat from adipocytes. Intramuscular triglycerides are a primary fuel source for resistance trained women. Again, pretty bad it increases hunger and cravings so some studies show the increase of progesterone and the drop in estrogen in the luteal phase can cause an energy intake increase of i believe it averaged out about 500 calories per day which is substantial yeah. for females with lower calorie intakes on prep for example so if we were to discuss you know we've got the follicular phase and the luteal phase which naturally you know female hormones will fluctuate but we're putting in this genius hormone that is in different quantities of progesterones and estrogens. What would you say in regards to sort of, you know, the research you've looked at? We know that that hormone balance will be off, but if we were to speak about not just bodybuilding, but if we talked about, say, performance in general, whether it be in any sport, um, with, or perhaps we could be specific with bodybuilding, what would you say taking birth control will perhaps do? You mentioned there about at blocking androgen receptors but what i'm thinking is more about right we understand that in the late luteal phase naturally on no birth control women might be a little bit weaker and as you said cravings might be up if they're on menses they might feel a little bit sort of weaker softer but as we, as they take this extraneous hormone what effect does that have on their performance okay 
Good question. Can I just cover something basic? Sure. Because I, I just, it just comes to my head. I didn't even answer your question of how does birth control work. Okay. Um, let's, let's, I do this all the time. Let's backtrack. Yeah, sorry. This is me. I, I go off on a ramble and don't actually answer a basic <laughs> question. So it's negative feedback inhibition. This is a real simple answer. So you take the exogenous hormone, brain thinks the endogenous levels are normal. It ceases production of the hormone via inhibiting LH and FSH. So LH reduction prevents estrogen production in the ovary, and then the reduction in FSH, being follicle-stimulating hormone, prevents the follicle from developing or being released. So ovulation doesn't occur. Simple. Boom. Boom, boom, boom. Okay. Sounds good. So on to performance you're asking about. That's the one I um, need. I will say firstly that when studying birth control, there's very little data with the massive majority being on oral forms only, which means we can't really make great conclusions about other forms like the ring and the patch, if any of you listeners use these. Although, do they probably correlate? Nah. You know, most research is dated and use really old forms of birth control. They usually contain more estrogen. And the study is also poorly designed. They compare normally cycling women to women on multiple types of birth control grouped into single categories when we know that different kinds of birth control act very differently. Anyway, performance. I'm actually going to answer the question now. So there's multiple studies done on anaerobic performance, firstly, that shows zero changes with hormonal birth control. One study on triphasic birth control, which if you don't know, that's triphasic meaning three phases. They tried to mimic the hormone cycle, which I'm sure, I'm sure every woman knows. Um, there's two relative bumps in progesterone through the whole thing. So in the luteal phase, or sorry, in the in the ovulatory phase, initially you get a little bump in progesterone, then the luteal phase, a higher bump, and then estrogen sort of peaks around that ovulation phase as well, dips down and then peaks back up in the, in the luteal phase. We're splitting into three phases and dosing birth control in that way, where there's steps up in progesterone, essentially. Um, that study did show that women had greater performance during the withdrawal period as compared to the previous weeks. So being a high progestin week the previous week, but there isn't a lot of data there. In the luteal phase of the hormonal cycle, core temperature increases with the increase in progesterone. So we know that. This is in normally cycling women. So the progestin component of birth control does the same thing. So if you're training in the heat, you're taking high levels of progesterone, that could negatively impact performance. I don't think we're reaching to say that. Yeah. Um, what is very clear in the research is that birth control does decrease VO2 max. So the degree to what amount of VO2 max decreases depends on the generation of progestin used and the degree of progestin exposure. Triphasic birth control came out the worst with the higher doses of progesterone later in the hormonal cycle. Again, it's not looking good for progesterone, right? <laughs> it's, it's certainly not. And I've always just wondered and hypothesized that, you know, as women will tend to go into that late luteal phase, or if they're on menses, when they are more progesterone dominant, that if they naturally feel weaker, well, if they're continuously putting in high levels of progesterone, then surely that would mean that continuously throughout the month they would be noticeably weaker than if they were more estrogen dominant perhaps as they would be in that follicular phase. But that's where I just have a relative 
theory and knowledge based on a natural cycle whereas when you mentioned about the research i thought well that kind of be cool to, to chat a little bit a little bit more so i yeah. think that if we i think you're right in, in, in that, yeah the, the, those periods where higher progesterone is an issue especially concerning if you're listening to this and you take the depot provera which is an injectable progestin this is of all the birth controls i've studied this is just horrific this wow. is the worst negative effects across the board um these huge levels of progesterone hitting your blood from a, a, a depot injection long acting is relatively terrible for these things um in terms of performance i think it's worth also mentioning bone mineral density okay. um so puberty is the time that bone mineral density increases birth control is commonly used by women in this period we know um it's a mixed bag of research on whether birth control actually affects bone mineral density but most concerning for our population is there is one paper that shows that combined birth control prevented exercise from increasing bone mineral density which is scary yeah overall it seems to be a case of what age the woman starts using birth control and how long it's used for so longer durations of use beginning at younger ages are associated with bone mineral density. It's probably not a concern for a 20-something-year-old competitor that wants to start using now for not decades at a time, but at least it's a consideration because bone mineral density um, is a huge concern as we move into later life. Yeah. And one of the huge benefits of resistance training. I think that as well, like many women will use birth control for decades right they'll maybe use it from say 14 15 up until maybe close to 30 and then after they've maybe perhaps they had children and whatnot they go back on it to for, for another sort of 15 years so i think it is really important to to probably take that in consideration because if you're 50 years old and you've used it for let's say the best part of almost what, 30 years then bone mineral density is going to be pretty much rock bottom now, I, I, it's probably me best to ask you this question. If perhaps females out there thinking, God, my bone mineral density, is there a way that they could help improve that out with weight training, which we know will help, but supplementation, dietary-wise, is there anything you'd suggest? Resistance training, absolutely. Hormonally, we know over time that estrogen insufficiency drives issues with bone mineral density so a sufficient amount of estrogen consistently not letting it bottom out for long periods and not being in a calorie deficit for extended periods of time at least sufficient to drive hormonal issues um which every female competitor is it's important to understand that by the time you get to the stage condition there will be a detrimental effect to your endogenous hormone profile unless you use it some exogenous source I mean, what drugs, what, I mean, I'll ask you, what kind of drugs are bikini girls using and figure girls using? Yeah, I mean, I don't really think they need to, I mean, I don't think bikini girls need to be using Anavar, but a lot of them well, will be. Yes, Anavar, is common, it's a DHT derivative, it has absolutely no estrogenic drive. Some of, them, the, some of them are going to use Primo as well, right? The majority of top figure okay. girls. Now that's Primo, bold also a DHT derivative with no estrogen. So you see the issue? Yeah. There's never a, we're we're not watching what's happening with estrogen essentially. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. So I guess perhaps in a roundabout way, it's maybe 
not best to say, it's not that we can medically say it, but if you were to want to take birth control, having periods of time where you were off that, or perhaps using a different method of birth control, would help improve bone mineral density because then oestrogen can come back up. That'd be right? Well, well, potentially, but the issue here, the confounding issue is, if you are on a combined birth control, you should have sufficient estradiol levels, um, but you'd have to check your conversion of this ethanol estrogen to actual blood estrogen levels, something that isn't really done. Um, if you're on a progestin only, definitely. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Now, one thing I want to touch on, as you mentioned earlier on, this is actually one of the, in the, one of the questions I want to ask you about there being a, a fat storage enzyme quote-unquote, as you called it. And I think that it's well evident that females that do perhaps go on birth control will always say that it makes them put on weight. Now, we know that that will always come down to a positive energy balance. However, there might be some physiological issues that you talked about in regards to, you know, increase in body temperature um, or a down-regulation of basal metabolic rate or something like that. But is there anything you found in regards to body composition, maybe any trends that you've noticed, okay, right, that... You know that says certain progesterone, or that 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 birth control causes X amount of weight gain. That one causes X amount of weight gain, or is it just a noticeable upward trend? I think yeah. Let's spend some time on this. I think because body composition is what most people listening to this right. Like, let's be honest, yeah. physique competitors, we don't give a shit about our health. For the most part. <laughs> so, negative effects on body composition is a very common concern in my experience consulting with female physique athletes that use hormonal birth control. Um, a couple of things to, to lay off first. Body composition doesn't equal weight. So we could separate those two out and see what they what um, birth control does to each. So Because I could gain five pounds of fat and lose five pounds of muscle, I'd weigh the same, but I'd look a lot worse, right? So yeah, yeah. body composition is what we're... Body composition is the amount of adipose and lean body mass you have. Our goal is to gain skeletal muscle and lose adipose, right? With considerations to the lean body mass, depending on the federation or off-season, on-season and stuff. So it's a very common myth that birth control causes an increase in weight. That's interesting. Evidence does not actually support birth control increasing weight as a whole. Um, if you bear with me, actually, I've got a quote from a review that I included in a PowerPoint I wrote yesterday. Yeah, dig it up. It's a large review. I'm just got to open my PowerPoint. Absolutely. Here it is. So here's a quote from a large review of studies on combined birth control. So just to remind the listeners, combined birth control is synthetic progesterone and estrogen. Um, so here's the quote. The four trials with a placebo or no intervention group did not find evidence supporting a causal association between combination oral contraceptives or a combination of skin patch and weight change. Most comparisons of different combination contraceptives showed no substantial difference in weight. In addition, discontinuation of combination contraceptives because of weight change did not differ between groups. Um, when you look different, well, when you look deeper, there's minor differences depending on the type. Remember what we said about what progesterone does earlier. This is combined birth control that contains estrogen as well. Um, so we can dig through that. Um, so monophasic birth control. Sorry. No, you on you go. You you got you're on to something. So we were talking about combined. That's usually either monophasic or triphasic. 
we monophasic, I defined triphasic earlier, monophasic rate just stays the same through the whole pill cycle, and then they'll come off for a week at the end, so it's like 21 days, seven days off. Or more commonly these days, people just stay on. There actually isn't any literature to show that's of any detriment. It was originally implemented just so the women felt better by bleeding once per month. It doesn't actually change anything. Yeah. Bit of historical um, information for you there. So monophasic birth control does show the largest effect with an average of three to four pounds of fluid due to the synthetic estrogen used. Okay. Whilst minimal, this could make the difference when being judged on condition. You imagine having four pounds of extracellular fluid on a 110-pound bikini girl. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, triphasic birth control showed a tiny amount of fat gain after 12 weeks of use, probably because of that hyperchesting content in the third week. Now, where it gets interesting is there's newer generation birth controls that um, combination birth controls that were shown in trials to decrease fat mass. So there's a fourth generation progestin called CMA. And when it's combined with EE2, which is that ethanol estradiol, there's a small decrease in fat mass after six cycles, so six months. Um, CMA is selective in its um, binding affinity, so, sorry, the dog's shaking. The um, selective action of CMA on the progesterone receptors is likely how it attenuates the gain of fat mass that's driven by other progestational molecules that we talked about earlier. So it, it selectively binds to maybe not drive that mechanism. So it, we're getting better here and we see that it, it, it's an it depends answer. Um, now to progestin only, coming back to that depot Provera that I mentioned earlier, um, that caused an 11 pounds gain with a net nine pounds of body fat over three years. Um, not a lot right over three years though but it's still the worst um yeah. in some um correlationary data as well it doubled the risk of becoming obese damn uh, now, would, now you, would you say that's because perhaps in that in that whether it's did you say third week that progesterone's at its highest on that in triphasic birth control yes in depro provera you just smashed with progesterone right so point. it's always high so do you think that it's to do with just because it will have such an impact on like cravings and then thus dietary adherence is poor, so they're reaching for more hypercalorific hyper foods? In that depot provera, yes, although I'll say those, what I just mentioned is an average picture and there's a huge biological individuality. So this, this is a key to coaches out there, like we mentioned, read the full papers and look at the statistics. Because when you dig deeper on those studies, the, the upwards and the downwards movements in body weight between women as individuals, they tend to cancel each other out. So on one study I was reading in women using triphasic birth control, there, there was a zero average weight gain, like that review that I quoted. But there was one individual in the study that lost 32 pounds and one that gained 15. <laughs> so, right. you know, what's going on? You know, they haven't, the issue is these haven't been done on athletes, resistance trainees, that control for activity, that control for energy intake, that control for sleep and stress management. So I, I, right now it's like, I don't know, but there are some studies on athletes if you want to talk about them. Yeah, I was waiting to say, because what I'm thinking is there'll be a bunch of bikini girls listening to this saying, fuck man, we just need to all do a study where we, you know, we'll give our two cents of how this affects us competitors wise. But if there's actually data on athletes, doesn't need to be boilers, could be on any athlete, uh, that'd be really applicable. So yeah, what what have you found? Yeah, so so there's there's quite a bit. So in one study that comes to mind, there's female runners that use a low dose monophasic birth control 
He uses a second generation progestin, and the the um the the ones using the progestin gain slightly less weight uh, with an increase in lean body mass of one pound when compared to the runners not using birth control. But one pound isn't statistically significant, so they didn't denote any effect of birth control there. Um, seemed to just do nothing. Um, a group of female athletes in different sports in a different study are either menstruating regularly or suffering from oligomenorrhea, which, I mean, I bet most women listening know that if a guy's listening to this, that's infrequent menstrual cycle when it occurs every 35 to 90 days. Um, they were given a low dose of monophasic birth control containing a second generation progestin again. Um, the oligomenorrhea athletes increased body weight 2.4% with a 3% body fat increase compared to the women's cycling normally. However, dig into the population group, they started out 5% leaner, thus the birth control just normalizing their dysregulated cycles. Okay. And so, I, I, I guess what that just really not, points out is that there's just a lot of limitations to yeah. To those studies and yeah but and a lot of other studies show the same in athletes i can think of one using monophasic birth control they gained four pounds over six months um and then they lost it immediately when they stopped the birth control so it was just fluid and lost four pounds over six months another using triphasic birth controls a three percent body weight um increase nine percent body fat increase over four months zero change to lean body mass there's a long time but overall it does appear that birth control increases body weight especially in the higher um or rather i should say monophasic it appears to just be fluid and minor in triphasic there does show to be a consistent negative impact on body composition due to the high progestin content in the third week now high dose progestins like that depo provera that i'm going to keep going with the war on they are the worst of the bunch they constantly have awful effects so we've talked about the different sort of the different birth controls that they are now there'll certainly be some females out there thinking well i'm thinking about a contest prep next year because this year seems to be out um for the most part anyway and you know i still want to take birth control to have a partner and whatnot and they're probably thinking well what would be the best and not not saying that if we were speaking in hypothetical terms would you say that oral sort of birth control medication would be not congruent with trying to get the best looking physique or would you think that there is there is something and, and you would you would have a, an idea in mind of what that would be um probably best at this point i say that i'm not a doctor um so please don't take this as any recommendation in terms of what we the research shows body composition wise if you are going to use one the monophasic is a relatively safe option and there are ways that you can manipulate your um, extracellular fluid via electrolyte balance manipulations, um, dietary manipulations that, that could pull that fluid that it would add from the synthetic estrogen, no problem. However, there are certain, it depends on the degree of estrogen exposure that could limit the amount of fat that you could mobilize potentially down the road um preventing lipolysis but not to any degree that a natural trainee wouldn't be able to um there's some considerations aside from body composition of course so in fact there's some clear benefits right so what's the most obvious one 
you're not going to get pregnant when you're in prep. Right? Yeah. So that's pretty obvious. That's a, a benefit, right? Um, I would say so. I, I also think the whole being able to skip your period and not be on your period during a show must be quite something that females yeah. are like, right, okay, that's that's cool. I don't need to worry about that. And from what I've spoken to with some of the athletes and coaches, that um, it'd be the last thing they'd ever want to happen. Yeah, and you're avoiding that luteal phase um, crazy mind game of wanting to eat everything in the house as well. If you're on a, at least if you're on a monophasic birth control, if you're on Depo-Provera, you've got that 24 hours a day. Um, what's another benefit? Well, you've got a reduced risk of anemia, so you'll reduce menstrual blood loss by up to 50%. And if you combine that with a low dietary iron intake due to the low calorie environment that you're already in, that can be an issue. Um, I think one, yeah, I mean, one thing. That again, I think one thing that would be quite good to touch on is, you know, we're not naive to the fact that that, that female competitors will take the likes of lipolytics like clenbuterol and whatnot. Would you think that there's? I mean, obviously, we know that something like that is going to massively increase sympathetic drive. Would you say there's any added risk in taking something like, say, clenbuterol whilst you're on birth control versus when you're not? Do you know anything to do with the drug interactions at all? As far as I know, there's no contraindications. They work on the different axes, so I don't see how they would interfere with one another. Yeah. Um, in fact, estrogen's been known to stimulate beta-adrenergic receptor um, stimulation. Stimulate but, stimulation. But what I'm thinking um, is, if you mentioned about the progesterone blocking androgenic um, receptors. So that, yeah, uh, I mean, how much... I suppose it would come down to the question of how many anabolics, like what milligram anabolics are you taking and how much androgen receptor space is that going to require you know how many androgen receptors are going to need to be bound with but that is certainly a potential issue again especially if you're taking a, a triphasic or a high dose progestin only medication that that's certainly for, for if you were taking anabolics yes but it's also just thyroid clenbuterol your being things like this i can't see them having any links there i just know um, i just knew it would be something that a listener would probably be sitting there thinking well is that something i should be concerned about is it something that's going to cause any negative effects now you mentioned about the sort of dangers in regards to say the bone like bone mineral density on taking birth control for say a period of long time like say 10 to 15 years anything else that could be potentially dangerous in regards to you know, bodily functioning, tissues, organs, skin, you name it, with having, whether it's estrogen bottomed out for that long or perhaps taking the different sort of triphasic or whatnot, anything that you found to be a potential other danger just to make women aware of? No, actually, these are very safe long-term medications. There, there were some, I saw some studies a while ago talking about some, um, some specific heart, what was it, some cardiac issues, but that was pretty soon debunked when you look at the, the literature, it didn't translate at all. They're, they're very well tolerated for long periods of time, like 10 to 15 years, I, I would say, no, there's, there's really not any dangers from using birth control for that long, no. Yeah. So do you think that if we were to, again, go back to the comp prep scenario, you mentioned about the sort of four pounds of fluid, which could be a lot for well a heck of a lot in regards to how the look is there'll be there'll be people like tell us joe tell us how we get rid of that fluid 
if there was a I know inter individuality person dependent, but if there was a drop the four pound protocol advice that not advice, hypothetical advice that you could give someone, what would that be? Uh, hire me for it, no joking. <laughs> um, Dude, by all means, it by all means that that's what you could say. Well, do you know what? this is funny because I was having this conversation today. Someone messaged me asking if I do peak weeks. I was like, well, not really, but if you want to go for a peak week, so it'd be similar to to what systems we manage when we look at like a peak week. Like our goal really shouldn't be year round to manipulate. Although you know having a a good intra to extracellular balance and driving that through specifics like fluid balance, electrolyte balance, you know, that that is important. But we wouldn't be necessarily trying to manipulate that balance in a way that we rid all extracellular fluid and maximize intracellular hydration. Um, but there are ways that you would do that multiple multiple ways. I mean listen to some of the, the podcasts that we put out on peaking individuals because it's literally the same goal isn't it you're trying to drive diuresis whilst trying to maximally drive things intramuscularly um but the issue here is a lot of these things are dependent on how lean the individual is um if you are not like bodybuilder people there's always going to be a risk for fluid retention simply because fluid can occupy the fat cell Right. So if you're a bikini athlete, but then at the same time, if you're a small bikini athlete, I suppose it makes it easier to manage um, because you don't actually have to be that dry. Yeah. You know, so I'm just thinking more for the figure girls. Yeah. So you're probably lean enough, though. I mean, in figure, they're probably lean enough to to do things like this anyway. So um, you could manipulate fluid to drive diuresis. Um, if this was a peak week, so you could have a relatively high fluid level and then pull it at some point. I'm trying not to give too specific because some of this some of this stuff can be a bit dangerous if done incorrectly. Um, think- electrolytes can be managed specifically sodium, but uh, Na to K, so potassium to um, sodium to potassium ratio manipulation thereof, and how you follow sodium with water can drive diuresis. Also. Um, how you manipulate your food. I mean, I've got to do a post today on like fat loading, um, but like maybe how you prime yourself to to use carbohydrates in a way that they are not going to pull fluid in that extracellular subcutaneous layer is another consideration. Um, I think one thing that would be good, and I'm conscious of time, I'm trying to keep these episodes short because I'm doing two a week, would be that if the listeners want to know how to control that, and how they would perhaps prepare for that. Could you kind of drop them your, you know, where they could get in contact with you, your website, your Instagram handle, what days you do autographs on, what days you take photos of people and stuff like that, um, so they can get in contact with you and potentially sign up? Yeah, for sure. So I know that sounded like a bit of a wishy-washy answer there, but um, it's hard because I, I was talking to Tom Haynes about this earlier, like how individual peaking someone really is um and this is where this discussion of what to do about that fluid retention well probably nothing unless you're actually coming into a show and then it's probably relatively easy to handle if you've got enough biofeedback on your own individual response anyway i I will answer your question um (laughs) it's um so on instagram 
I'm at Joe Jeffrey Coaching. Jeffrey is spelled J-E-F-F-E-R-Y. On Facebook, you find me, Joe Jeffrey. My website's just being updated. It's going to be joejeffrey.com. And I've got loads of new videos, including lectures and presentations on loads of in-depth birth control stuff and female physiology on there. Super. interested. So this could be um, a, this could be. I an, think that's it. You can. You, this could be an introduction for someone to sign up to your website to find out more. Yeah, for sure, and it's free. I'm not charging anyone for the website. Oh, that's so. brilliant, man! I'll be I'll be I'll be one of the most frequent users then. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to do another subscription site, man, because I just. I like doing this stuff anyway. It's a, it's fun. It's a hobby for me. I'm, I'm happy with the money that I'm making on coaching, and, and if I can help some people, then that's, that's all good. Yeah, absolutely. Now, one thing I tend to ask every listener, um, every listener, every guest, should I say, is, um, what's the biggest lesson they've learned in life, and why? And I know I didn't ask you this in the email, so mm. I'm just springing this on you. So, if there was. A potential lesson that you've learned in life and you're the biggest one what would it be and why i think a lesson that i'm constantly reminded of because something i've always been big on is having mentors um and investing a lot of money and time into people a lot smarter than you and i think the biggest lesson i've learned really is how little i know about anything and staying conscious of that and being mindful of just how stupid you really are is the best growth promoter in my experience. That's a very good answer. I don't think I've had anyone say that before, but I 100% and wholeheartedly agree with you. And last but not yeah. least, people want to know, is that beard real? And did you steal the hair from your head and glue it to there? I, that's what I did. <laughs> I shaved off my head and glued it to my face. <laughs> Brilliant. Listen, my man, from myself and everyone here, Vito Physique, give it the beans, we can only say thank you for your continual continual help for all of us in the industry you give out information freely it speaks volumes from who you are as a person um, and you have my utmost, utmost respect so i think that from anyone listening whatever they're doing in this lockdown i think that equally we can say for me and you that they got to give it the beans right yes sir thank you very much for having me awesome now that is us finished recording my man